I'm Mary Angela Abeo, and this is the Face to Faces podcast, a conversation series that provides a platform focusing on the LGBTQ and POC communities and their allies in the areas of activism, politics, mental health, arts and entertainment, and community. In this space, we discuss the human experience in our ever-changing world. My goal here is to remind you that while you may have moments where you feel isolated and alone, there is always an incredible community of people here that is safe. We all connect to people at our deepest pains and our greatest joys. And in this space, we're here for those moments and everything in between. I'm so glad you're here. Take a seat next to me. It's always open. Now, let's lean in. All right, we are back, and I'm really excited to do this very special episode with a dear friend. Marika and I have known each other, I think we just did the math, like seven to ten years. She's definitely, Marika uses she, her pronouns. She has definitely seen me through my latest evolution of M, and we both, during this process, have gotten some questions um, and so that's what this episode is, is it's kind of the only one-time chance of no boundaries and asking questions. And the only person I trust is my Taurus dear friend, who is a writer, a social media digital manager for um, amazing humans, and um, the editor for my upcoming memoir, House of M. Marika, thank you for being here. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I was like, who can I trust? Because people are like, when will you answer these questions? Are they going to be in your book? And I was like, well, kind of, but my book is not told like a Q&A. It's told like a story because that's the story of my life. So how, and I know as my life has shifted, you and I both have gotten questions about me, like in DMs. And I'm like, okay, people, you really want to know these things? I'm going to say it. you're the one person I get DMs about questions really yeah that is fascinating the one person who i've consistently gotten questions from since i met you (laughs) wow part of me is is part of me is horrified but also part of me is like who's obsessed with me like let's talk about it no but this is gonna be a one-time only like i don't like answering questions about myself unless i instigate it (laughs) so now i'm like okay i put a call out on social media i know questions that you've gotten that, that i've gotten and so this is a conglomeration of all of those questions that we felt were the most poignant towards life. Now, listen, there were some people that asked me like, what's your favorite restaurant in Belltown? And I'm like, okay, just ask, just message me and I'll tell you, that's not going to go on the podcast, but You're like, obviously it's jerk shack, but let's move on. I just had that last night. <laughs> <laughs> Marika and I, at the beginning of the quarantine, I discovered a amazing jerk chicken burrito. And I was, Marika was like, oh, I'll try it one day. And then she's like, I have them every week. It was like, yeah, I did for a long time. Oh my god, so good. Yeah, so uh, uh, yeah, I I feel like between the watching my life and our lives together, and now with this book coming up, a lot of what we're going to talk about, you know, already. But I think there's right. probably some questions that you don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you feel about this? How did you feel when I asked you to do it? Because I was like, who do you trust, Marika? Only person on earth. Well, no, obviously I was honored. Also, um, I'm not on the, 
podcast circuit. (laughs) (laughs) The last podcast I really listened to besides yours was Serial, and that was like a hundred years ago. So, wow. uh, I'm honored then. So I thought, well, you know what better way to to make my foray into podcasting than with you? (laughs) Yeah, you're pirouetting in right now is what's happening. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So yeah, no, I thought that this made sense with um, with the people who are really interested in your life and also understanding that you might want to clarify some things, you know, and also just, we always have these conversations anyways. So. Right. <laughs> I feel like there's so much that goes into asking something like this. And I had a lot of people going, you're brave. How This is a big deal. And I'm like, no, I said there were no boundaries. I didn't say you could not respect me. And I didn't say that you I would just accept anything. I just meant my personal boundaries were going to be moved a little bit just for this one interview. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got a lot of people with a lot of assumptions in their questions, phrasing things in a way that they knew my life and they didn't. And so I had to calm my Aries moon down just a little bit because I just wanted to just lash out from them. And um, I didn't. I was like, okay, this this proves that we need to have a conversation, you know? Mm -hmm. This Taurus is here for you. Thank you. I can always, always uh, depend on my Taurus buddy here to um, pick up where uh, I leave off with petty things. So it's great. Yeah. <laughs> I need petty and crime. <laughs> really? <laughs> I do have that petty misfit t-shirt. Oh, that's right. And I've got my petty misfit cup right now. Right. Oh, I have my squad goals cup. Oh, perfect. We're, we're, we're ready then. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, where should we start in our conversation? Because I feel like some of this you might want to know too. So I would even be down to start with some of that, you know? Right. Well, actually, I thought it would be good to start with sort of on uh, Faces of Fortitude. Right. So that's sort of, that isn't where you began, but that's where sort of right. this right. journey Trajectory. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um. You know, I know people wondered if, um, and actually somebody asked me just last week if you were going to continue with that now that the pandemic was not over, but, you know, things are opening back up. And I get that question so much. I want to continue Faces of Fortitude. Travel is different now. I feel like I still have some anxiety around it, honestly. And right now I need a studio to shoot in. The studio that I use in LA is closed. They are no longer. So I can't shoot in LA until I find a studio. I don't know the status of the studio in New York um, that I was going to use right before quarantine. Um, And the studio I use here in Seattle is still open. I just haven't broached the subject with her yet because I don't want to say that I'm bringing more people into this space that's not mine um, because I'm not sure how she is around the pandemic. And what I'm trying to handle everybody's anxiety level um, and meet them where they're at. You know what I mean? So I want to finish the pro. I have to do more of that project. I'm not done. Um, but I am trying to navigate it with our new lifestyle. You know, um, I have to finish my book, my, my faces of fortitude photo book. Um, the art book. I want to, I need to go to New York to be able to finish that. So, um, cause the last of my stories, there's like 20 stories in New York that are so important to me. Um, Interesting. So, do you have yeah. any, are you, are you trying to get that on the calendar? Yeah, I'm trying to do that in the fall. I think I will be ready to go in the fall. Right. I need the summer to see how this 
grand opening of everything is going to affect people. I want to see if the numbers rise. I want to see if the vaccine works. You know what I mean? Like there's so many. I'm happy to let other people be the the guinea pigs. Same, same. So I'm waiting. I've had people reach out already saying, we're opening back up. Can I get on your list? And I'm like, whoa, hold your horses. I'm not ready. Um, So I'm trying to be patient and safe and make smart choices and not look like I'm skipping around you know, acting like this is all done, you know, because that's not how I feel. Right. Basically. That's cool. Well, we had a bunch of people send in questions, right? Right. And um, I thought we could just sort of roll through them as organically as possible. Yeah. Um, I would love that. And I think that (laughs) there's quite a variety, so we would have fun with it. There really is. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. But I want to start with this one about Maddie. Mm. Since you are a mother bear. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love, no, I use the word mom actually yeah. with Maddie because I will always be her mom. Yeah. Uh, and I know that she's really important, you know, like central to your family. And yeah. um, so I have also wondered, um, how so the question was how does your daughter emotionally and mentally receive your various new identifications and the follow-up is has it sparked any of her own questioning Hmm. i think um something i've learned as a parent in the last five years is boundary better boundaries with maddie and so i'm not going to answer the second part because i feel like that's her business um but i think i wanted i actually put that question on there in two parts i could have taken the second part off I decided to put it on there to show her that I have boundaries. Because <laughs> old me wouldn't have. Old me would have just spilled her fucking business. Right. And that's not my place. That's nobody's place. So um, I do, it's, I was very nervous to tell Maddie that I was bi-gender. I was really nervous to tell her I was starting testosterone. And both times I told her how nervous I was. And she looked at me kind of quizzically and she was like, why would you even work? Why, you know me, you raised me this is about your happiness. If you are happy, I'm happy. So, you know, I kind of got teary. That was back when I could cry. I'm on week three of testosterone and I'm already not able to cry. It's wild. <laughs> Anyways, she, um, I, I got weepy and, and um, realized that she was hearing me and seeing my happiness. And she was like, I can see it all over your face. And so um, she's handling it. I feel very supported, but also she's put up her own boundaries. I can tell like she's put up boundaries with it because she's intaking as much content around my process as she can handle with therapy and with everything, which I think is great for her. She's like, she's literally listening to herself, you know? Yeah. I know. I, I think it's so great, especially since it seems like they're doing it so much younger than we did. <laughs> right, right, right. And I think that probably brings some uncomfortableness for her knowing that, her parent is finding and changing their gender at such an older age. Um, And that's not, I'm sure to her peers that could, I'm just leaving room for that to be uncomfortable. I'm leaving room for maybe some days where maybe she wishes she had a normal upbringing and she's, you know, she was the child of a rapper. She went on tour. She went, you know what? She went to bed at two o'clock in the morning on school night sometimes because of shows. Like she's never had a, quote unquote normal life, but, um, what is the new normal now anyways, you know? Yeah. 
It's sitting inside with their children, wishing they were at school. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I'm glad I didn't do that. Well, that sort of leads us to starting testosterone, which I think is so exciting. Uh, And so what was the deciding factors in finally starting? Well, I mean, I think I've been I've been questioning um, my masculine and femme and really what those words mean in society. And if they're really even a thing and or if my gender queerness is something that I tried to fit in boxes for so long. And now I'm realizing that part of my the part that would be considered masculine in the binary world um, I've suppressed my whole life because I was the first grandchild in this Italian family. And so I was always the one that was like, you have to have a dress. You have to wear tights. You have to wear makeup. Your hair has to be curled. Like I always had to present the Sofia Coppola of the family. And um, my, my butch side was very, was, was not encouraged. And once I realized I could bring that out, it was great. And I came out as by gender, but then I still felt like there were parts of my body that felt like they were working against this new energy. Mm-hmm. My softer face, my really, I have a, like a high soft voice. Mm-hmm. Um, even I've, I've always wanted facial hair. Like my people ask me what my goal is for testosterone and it's not to be a man. It's not to be a woman. It's to be gender fluid to the point where I can express all of the parts of my gender, sometimes at once. My most excited goal right now is to have a full fucking beard and a full beat of makeup and my hair done and like a fierce outfit on. And like, that is my, that's, that's what I need in my life. That sounds fun. I know. Right. We're going (laughs) to, it's going to be a thing. (laughs) Um, Well, let's see. That also sort of goes to, sort of your childhood and how you're raised. Mm. Um, So this question is, how have you worked through your childhood trauma? What advice would you give to anyone seeking to do the same? Well, I think it's really important to note that I haven't worked through it. We can't use past tense there. Like if you're learning to live in the moment, like, or as a trauma comes up as a bloom or something comes up that you're like, Ooh, this triggered something deeper. If you're learning to unpack those when they happen and not suppress them, like most of us learn through our life. Mm -hmm. um, I've started unpacking them when they happen. And when I did that, I started processing the things that came up. So I think the only way that I've learned to process that childhood trauma is when something triggers it, usually it's a relationship issue. Mm -hmm. If somebody breaks up with you, if, if, you have a separation. If you, if you're having a childhood, uh, an issue with your child, it, it usually happens around your intimate family. And so if those things come up and you're like, Oh my God, I'm feeling abandoned. Oh my God. I'm feeling like I don't have an attachment to my child. Like all of these things, they're actually touching something way deeper from your childhood. So if you can find that, dig it up gently, listen to your triggers and make sure you don't take on too much and just really unpack it. I think that I've healed more in the last year spending that time listening to myself than I have in my 40 plus years easily. Oh, there's also inter- intergenerational trauma. Oh yeah. It's like, I mean, everybody's got it. <laughs> Everybody. Right. I think we're all just at different levels of trauma and dysfunction at this point. Nobody's functional anymore. Right. 
pretty much. Or it's for everybody has it, but not everybody knows has the tools. Right. That part. Like, yes. Like I yes. continue learning the tools, which is like, oh, it's not that oh. those stuff goes away. It's that I get to just deal with it now. <laughs> right. It's it's not that I, I was just talking to somebody on TikTok today because they were like, you know, this helped me in a really dark time. And I'm like, I'm not going to tell you that it's going to get better. It might not. I'm not going to tell you that it's going to go away, but I can tell you that you're going to get better at it. You're going to get stronger at dealing with it every time, just like this much. Mm-hmm. That's like the best advice I was ever given was that, oh, but remember when you came out of that horrible thing and you were like, Whew, I almost perished in that one, but look at what I did. It's a little mm-hmm. stronger, you know? Yeah. That. Uh, so have you felt guilty cutting off toxic friends and family, even though you knew it was best for you? I mean, Okay. between a Taurus and a Capricorn and you know that we got petty between us. Do I feel guilty? Initially your first like two weeks you feel guilty. And then you start to feel like this amazing level of freedom. Like you're like it free there, that space that they took that they were not paying rent for opens up and you're like, Oh, I can put new trinkets here. I can put new things in this space that are healthy and that are propelling at that help you grow rather than nourishing these dead leaves on these plants. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense. And so I think once I started seeing it from that point of view, my guilt was very quickly um, thwarted. But, you know, I was raised Catholic, so there's at least two weeks every time. Right. Well, I mean, I think you're required. Right, right. I was going to say, I would, I, my, uh, my Italian-American card would be taken away. <laughs> but I was baptized, so that's all that matters, according to my aunt. It's true. So. Uh, so do you experience and feel imposter syndrome regarding your gender and sexuality? And if so, do you have any advice? Oh, God, that is such a hard question because... <laughs> you know, I've talked to you about this. Like I have been questioning my gender for a few years, but because of the queer communities that I was immersed in Mm -hmm. and the people that I went to asking questions, I was, I was, I was compartmentalized and judged within the queer community pretty harshly. Mm. And so it's, it really, I think I came out a year later than I could have because I shrunk back into my hole because I was like, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. I'm not saying anything. I think the the judging and the compartmentalizing and the labeling within the trans and queer community is sick and it's disgusting and it's horrible and it's mean. And I think once quarantine came and all those voices were gone, I was like, oh, this is how I feel. I just needed to cancel out everybody else and listen to myself. And that's it with as far as being transgender, I feel the same. I feel like that's even harder because I, my age works against me as well. Mm-hmm. Coming out as trans at a, at a later age, um, I'm trying to normalize that a little bit, but that one's hard. I get judged every day for that. Oh, you mean it's hard uh, because of outside influence. It's not because it's hard on you, hard for Correct, you. correct. I'm like working on my confidence. I'm working on like my goals and like, this is a big step for me. Mm-hmm. Um, like the woman at Planned Parenthood said at my, my, uh, my appointment, she said, this is a big deal for you. And I was like, 
Beth, you're right. I love you. Can you be my surrogate mother? Because really, it was um, it was more of a big deal than other people had had really given me credit for. So um, the imposter syndrome is is helpful. It was helpful that I had two friends, August and MB, who I'm doing a podcast episode with for the last week of Pride um, about what they saw in me. They actually August has is a trans man, and August has. I've known them for even longer mm-hmm. and he, he was able to see me struggling and messaged me. He approached me and said, Hey, if you ever want to talk about your gender, I'm open to talk about it. I'm here if you need help with that. And I was so touched that I was seen. So I think when you have special friends like that, they can help with the imposter syndrome. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm going to kind of hold your hand. Right. Right. To acknowledge you, validate you. Well, and I also like that since you've gone through sort of some of the negative stuff that I know that you will be the opposite right. when other people right. don't need to like an ear or a shoulder, you know? Yes. Yes. I love that. Um, let's see. There's a, actually a couple of, maybe a few questions about being polyamorous. So. That's a big one. There are a lot of people that have been, let's talk about that for a minute because I think that I was so forward facing with my relationship with Ryan for so long. Um, and then when my kind of the, when I started to really have space to find myself, it became more, I centered myself again. And I think people saw that. And uh, as Brene Brown says, the stories they were telling themselves were not <laughs> necessarily true. Right. And so I love, I love the opportunity to talk about that. All right. Well, let's see. What, when did you realize you were poly and was there an event that confirmed or triggered that? No, you know, Ryan and I, I was, I was dating a woman when I met Ryan and Ryan and I were, had really had early on probably five to six years into our marriage. We've been married 24 years now, five to six years into our marriage. We realized, I realized that I need, I was, I was bi, I thought at the time, but now I realize I'm pansexual, but um, I knew that what I needed and he knew too. So there was always an understanding. However, I need, I had some trauma I had to work on. I had some self-confidence I had to work on. So it was nice to know the option was always there, but I was way too insecure and way too traumatized and disassociated so much of my, that part of my life that um, I think when I started getting the confidence and working on myself in the last six, since I've met you, is when I've really started, I started as dabbling and dating. And then I started actually having relationships and then more shit came up and I was like, more trauma to work on. Yay. And (laughs) I had such abandonment issues. So um, I think that I want, I realized that it, it was really important for me to lean into things that I need rather than what I thought society told me a, a relationship should look like. Right. I needed to define it for myself and Ryan did too. Ryan and I needed to define things for ourselves rather than what everybody else was telling us our relationship was supposed to look like. And that was important to me. I am very excited about the chapter in your book that is called a nun and a devil priest walk into a bar. Cause you know where that, you know, the title <laughs> we literally Ryan and I met uh, and known each other two weeks, two and a half weeks. And we took some acid and 
for Halloween dressed up as the pregnant nun with the devil priests that got them pregnant. And everybody kept telling us we were going to be hit by lightning that night. And that is the night we believe Madison was conceived. So there you go. We, we fucked the entire Catholic system in one (laughs) fail swoop. (laughs) Better than a lifetime. Right. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Let's see. There was one down here. Um, how do you juggle moments of feeling insecure when just while deciding if you want to venture into polyamory? So I get this and then I get people ask me, how do you deal with jealousy around polyamory too? Mm -hmm. And I have two partners right now. And I, when people say I couldn't be polyamorous, I, I get jealous or I'm too insecure. Baby, you being jealous or insecure has nothing to do with polyamory and everything to do with just the work you need to fucking do on yourself. Right. So I, you don't have to, you, you have to deal with those things in monogamy too. It's just about knowing that when you have polyamory, you're dealing with things that come up with two people and not just one. So your level of healing is going to increase times two and things that come up and trigger you are going to increase times two. So you have to be ready to either have that work done or do the work in real time, which is going to mean a lot of really uncomfortable conversations. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it does seem like of the of the people in that community that I've known that the highest level of communication. I mean, it's not like they never fought, and it's not like they didn't get jealous, and it's not like there weren't issues that came up. But it did seem like they were constantly checking in right. and having way more communication than like some of the one on one partners, you know, that I knew. Way more communication. Way more consent way more talk about all of that. You know, I think Ryan and I started, I want to say old school because it was so long ago, these Mm -hmm. conversations didn't happen. So Ryan and I have evolved, but like my, my newer partner, shy and I, there's so much communication in the moment that it's teaching me so much about my my relationship with Ryan too. And they're both really feeding each other right now. Mm -hmm. It's great. It's like, Oh, it's teaching me how to be a better partner to Ryan too. This is also a question. I've also wondered this. Uh, what happens if you fall deeply in love with one partner? Can you still have enough to give your other partners? Hmm. I think that's such a great question. I think back when in my monogamy days, I would have asked the same question Mm -hmm. and I didn't understand it until I felt it. I am in love with both of my partners. I'm very happy to say, Um, but they're different. They're different love because I practiced also relationship anarchy. Each are defined differently each have their own boundaries, their own things that we both need from each other, um, our different love languages with each other. Like everything is different. So the way that Ryan loves me has a different tone to it. It's certain, you know, I think for so many years when I didn't have another partner, I would go to Ryan for everything and things that Ryan's not good at. Ryan's not great at, he, he believes that you should have the confidence to know that you are an incredible, beautiful human being. If he says it once. I have a Leo rising and I need to hear it often. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) I need to be a little doted on sometimes. And so he would do things to appease me, but they didn't always feel a hundred percent like he was doing them from his heart because he was trying to meet me in places that weren't natural to him. Now with two partners, I'm able to meet them both where they're at. And he would all, he has told me before when I have another partner, it takes pressure off him Mm. to show up in areas that he doesn't, feel authentic to him, but he's also just trying to make me happy. You know what I mean? And it's so great to have partners that show up for you in a different way. So yes, 
I am deeply in love, but I'm also, I, I can deeply love them both. I have so much more. Deeply loving Shy is making me love Ryan even deeper, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. I'm loving him for what he brings to me rather than focusing on what he doesn't. But I also feel this goes hand in hand too with having learned how to love yourself and doing that really actively over the last few years. You know what I mean? Even the last couple of years, right? Yeah, I think that's a really great point. Like, I think I would settle for things, whether it was with Ryan or other people that I dated, I'd be like, oh, this is what happiness is supposed to feel like, I guess. With (laughs) With little things where I was like, oh, this feels cute. like (laughs) pretending that I didn't have yearnings. I didn't want more because I think we're taught as a society that you get married, you have kids, you're doing great. You're happy. Get the fuck over it. You're lucky. You found someone Mm -hmm. rather than, okay, but what if you said, I, what's your ideal situation? And I put that out there and I realized it was so possible. Ethical non-monogamy is so much. It's, it's helping me lean into joy because I'm realizing I, deserve these things now i think before i didn't realize i deserved to feel a level of joy that i didn't feel before you know mm-hmm. yeah we get used to scraps yes yeah and, and that's not to say that you can tell your story around a scrap right right, right. and that's <laughs> not to say anyone is a scrap but it is to say no. that i i limited myself for so long because that's what i felt like i deserved right i get that uh well there's one um about Ryan, since we were talking about that, yeah. how has your relationship dynamic changed with him over time, especially in regards to polyamory and your orientation? Yeah, you know, um, again, I'm going. I'm going to try to be really good with my boundaries and not speak for him. Mm-hmm. Um, Ryan is Ryan, and I. It, he, he will always be my best friend, mm-hmm. and always be a partner to me. Mm -hmm. Um, he is my co-parent, you know, he, he knows me me the longest. He's known me the longest in my adult years. And we met at 21. We had a baby at 21. Like we, um, we've grown up together. So he's seen the evolution of M he's seen what everything that I've gone through. So I think as things have changed and as I've started to center myself, I, we've had to change our dynamics. We've had to change our boundaries to better serve our growth. Has it been easy? Absolutely not. (laughs) Do people misunderstand us every day? (laughs) People don't understand our relationship. They don't understand. I saw an old um, music industry person downtown recently Hmm. and he was like, jumping all over the conversation because he was so nervous because he didn't know if he could ask me about Ryan or not. And he was like, so are you living? How's Maddie? Are you, what are, are you working? And I was like, like you literally worked with Ryan. Like I, I, I ended the conversation. I said, I'll tell Ryan you said hi. And he was like, Oh, I didn't want to say anything. I didn't know. <laughs> I was assuming. And I was like, buddy, it's okay. Like, I get it. I get that I spammed the world with my fucking family for 10 years. Like I get that until, (laughs) I mean, my, my social media went to from all Ryan music to all Maddie dancing to me shifting into myself. And that makes people think I got all, I got across the board, all different things. I had somebody ask me if Ryan was still alive. 
I had somebody ask me if we were divorced. Somebody asked me if he had moved to out of the country. Like people really, really stretched with this one. Right. And it's because nothing that Ryan and I do has ever been standard. It's never been the way society wants. We have made our, one of our tattoos that we have is love without rules. And it's because we, we make our own rules. And sometimes those rules in the moment have been really hard for us to get through, mm-hmm. especially starting at quarantine. Things were really hard for us, but it forced us to move through some things that um, I think are helping us both be better independent people. Cause remember we met at 21. I had lived on my own for maybe a year. Ryan had lived on his own for barely a year. Neither of us had any autonomy as an adult. And now we're having that and we're learning to really take care of ourselves rather than and unpeel layers of codependency, which has been monumental for my self-care. Having that liberation kind of within myself of, oh, I'm not going to check on these things that don't, that, you know, don't affect me. Right. right. Um, so, yeah. And you actually have a chapter in your upcoming book called Love Without Rules. Yeah. And the book that chapter is going to be really hard. I'm so I'm on the chapter before is what I'm writing right now. And (laughs) I'm really nervous about that chapter. I'm nervous because Ryan and I have been, Ryan and I are so trauma bonded. And I use that term because a lot of people use it derogatorily, but I actually really like that word. I think that that's how we connect with people is at pain. Mm -hmm. So I don't think there's anything wrong with being trauma bonded with someone. It's how you unpack it later. And um, I think that that, that chapter is going to be hard for me to write emotionally because um, going back and looking at our timeline, mm-hmm. it's, it's tender. You know what I mean? It's, I don't think it's going to be hard in a bad way. I think it's going to be very emotional. I, it makes me very grateful for testosterone and lack of tears. <laughs> so I won't be, <laughs> I won't get uh, dehydrated. We're okay. Right. Well, and also it seems like that you just have so much history, you know, we do. And I think um, the other, the next, the other um, chapter about gender that I'm writing, it's been interesting because I'm, I'm navigating that with one partner that's transgender and one partner that's cis. And so they're navigating it differently. And so watch, watching Ryan and I's evolution of that and his evolution of, of supporting me it's, it's just such a, it's a great part of the story, but it's also fascinating. And it tells us a lot about our growth as people in the binary in general, you know? Uh, This question is what's the hardest thing about being polyamorous or the most difficult test you've had? Uh, I started really being actively poly before I was ready. That's Mm. the stupidest mistake I could have ever made. It was Ryan and I, and you, you walked me through a lot of this. (laughs) Ryan and I, it, it, it exploded in my face. And um, it's because trauma came up. That was my own abandonment issue. And I didn't look at it. And I just kept diving, diving into the poly pool instead of dealing with it and really unpacking. And that, so my biggest piece of advice is, deal with your issues first before you jump in because it's going to hit you square in the forehead when you do and you got to be ready for it. And I wasn't, and it really turned my world upside down. Did we survive it? Yes. But do I, I don't recommend it to anyone. Well, that's what you said. That's the hardest thing about being polyamorous. Um, what is something that you, other than dealing with your shit, which you should do no matter mm-hmm. what relationship, right. you're <laughs> but um, like what, 
what would you warn somebody like maybe don't do, you know what I mean? That type of a thing or how to, how to protect yourself. Maybe. I think I am making sure I would, I would say don't assume, never assume anything in polyamorous relationships, but also learn to learn that you've got to trust. And, and I think that that's something that if you have any sort of trauma, um, it's really easy to not trust people. And in polyamory, that's just going to, it's messy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think my mistake was trying to control everything. Shocking earth sign. What? But yeah, I was trying to control <laughs> all parties and how everybody saw me and how everybody felt. And are you feeling okay? And are you feeling okay? And it's my job to make sure my partners feel equally loved equally heard and seen and mm-hmm. like they have a p- part of my life, but it's also not my job to fix them if things come up. Mm-hmm. And so I had to find that in between. And I think that was the hardest thing in the beginning is I was like, I think it's all my job and I have to spin all the plates. And that's really not the case. I've mm-hmm. had so many people come to me and say, I want to be polyamorous, but my husband just won't go for it. And my exact word to all of them is, and I know I'm starting shit and I know this is my Aries moon, but it's like, so (laughs) your your husband doesn't have to be polyamorous. (laughs) Like real, like what does your preference have to do with him? Nothing. (laughs) Maybe he has to work on that. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) Testosterone also lets me give zero less fucks, by the way, I just learned. Like you need a, Need a mug that says "starting shit." <laughs> That's, I'm writing it down. I'm taking. It. I love like that. I monetize it. this. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, okay, let's see. Um, actually, this is kind of a. I also have this question, which is, what is your goal? for the hormone process and like when we be quote unquote finished. So the thing about testosterone is to have the changes that you want, you, you take it until you have the changes that you desire. Now, unfortunately the results of testosterone are different for everyone. It depends on your body chemistry. It depends on the paternal and maternal sides of your family. Mm -hmm. Um, It depends on so much. So I don't know how it's going to react to me. I'm on a low dose on purpose so I can be thoughtful. I want facial hair. I want some more definition in my cheekbones. I want a lower voice. Um, My fat distribution and my body will change. So my upper body, my shoulders, my belly will gain more and my, my waist and my hips will slender. So all of these things will happen slowly. I, but I will also, um, struggle with aggression, lose hair, possibly get high blood pressure, cholesterol, things like that, that I've already, thanks to my friend August started taking supplements for when I started. Um, so there's not a stop point. Ryan asked me this too, and there's not a stop point. I would say there's more of a, there's a stop point. Once I have those goals and I feel less dysphoric about parts of my body that feel too, Right. Foreign to me. Or balancing out. Yes. Yes. I feel like I want a balanced gender queer for myself. Um, when you stop, you stop where you are, if that makes sense. So no, so when I stop testosterone, the things that have happened to me won't go away. They're mm. permanent. So you can stop when you're happy where you are. Okay. Um, I didn't know that. I'm also close to 
close-ish to menopause, which mm-hmm. is kind of what happens when you go on testosterone. Your body basically goes through your cycles and then you're done. Um, so I'm waiting to see what happens with that if I get a period next month or not. Um, it, it's different for everyone. Um, and so I think the only thing that would happen is if things start to change that I don't like, that's when I would maybe stop, you know? Do you have a list of what those things are or are you just going to organically let them come up? I'm going to, of things that are, that I don't want to happen. Yeah. Like, let's say, I think a good example is my voice. People often talk about my voice being soft and femme and great for radio or whatever. And I think that if my voice changes too suddenly and I'm not a fan of it for whatever reason, mm-hmm. I would change. I would stop before it got worse. Does that make sense? If it was a tone that I didn't like. Um, but I also think it's already changed a little bit from a video that I took the day before. And it's very subtle. It's like my low notes when I enunciate. Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking really good kind of notes and journaling and video so I can watch my progress and like be right. fucking nitpicky enough <laughs> it's called it's, it's the only way a capricorn can have control without having control over this right. is so, a notebook <laughs> right right exactly like you know i'm preparing myself for facial hair to come in all like blotchy and looking like pubes and if that's the case we are not doing facial hair <laughs> <laughs> well that'll be an interesting chapter in the book yes i'll be like never mind shaving and she sounds like tom waits yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what there's one thing about a ro- being roasted but it's the best is being roasted by a taurus because there are always things that you have to laugh at because they are so true because they're constantly doing it in their heads anyways right, <laughs> cheers to that for real. uh let's see one two four are you afraid of the world now that you are transitioning how you, uh, around how you'll be treated? Uh, and this person said, honestly, I have wondered if I was on the wrong body, but I fear the world to even think about, think about changing it. That's such a hard question. Yes. I, I, am I afraid of the world now? Yeah. I've had a few family members out of projection fear for me. I know they love me. Um, ask me that, but in a non, uh, yeah productive way um i'm i'm very aware that we live in a liberal bubble i'm very aware that we live in a place where it's a liberal bubble. yeah liberal yeah <laughs> fremont liberal yeah um <laughs> and i'm very aware that we live in a queer space that is safe um ish yeah and i fit if and i said this to my stylist daya the other day i was like I have fit into the binary for people outward facing for a long time. They look at me and go, Oh, that's a quote unquote woman. And Daya actually disagreed with me and said, no, you have been non-binary or androgynous to me for so many years. Same. I guess I, it was how I felt my dysphoria put me in this very femme space. And so I think I tried a little too hard for a long time Mm. to really make it as femme as possible And, um, I think that it's, it's something that I'm very scared of rocking a beard and a full face of makeup. And, uh, I'm not going to have gender affirming surgery. So, uh, cause I just love my boobs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so rocking a, you know, a low cut shirt or, you know, 
outfit, something out, you know, with heels and having my beard and having facial hair. Like that is one of my dreams. I'm so excited about it. It's also terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's terrifying to me. And um, so when I recorded a video the day before I started, part of it was me talking about how this is a big decision because it affects me only in my life. It's just my own personal decision. Right. doesn't have to do with Maddie or Ryan or a purchase or something. It's just me. And it's also terrifying because I know that I'm putting myself in a very vulnerable space that people are being traumatized, abused, killed for. And that's scary. I'm white. So I have privilege in that space still. Right. Um, But it is still scary because Mm -hmm. rights can be taken away and things like that. So um, yeah, I'd be silly to say I wasn't fearful. Right. Well, to what Daya said, I I totally agree. For me, it was, you came into real focus for me, like you rather than you, the mom, you, the wife. Right. Um, when you cut your dreads off and you got the neck tattoo. Yes. And that felt like, oh, there you are. (laughs) You know. This opened something, yeah. My neck tattoo opened that voice and cutting those dreads off were a sign of me finally being fucking accountable for being a privileged, quiet white person for a long time Mm -hmm. that really didn't know how to speak or educate myself or anything. I mean, I say that widely, but it's, it was really me. You know, I remember talking and Ryan was so political for so many years and he'd want to talk to me about politics. And I'm like, man, I'm not educated. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I realize now how fucking privileged that was of me and I need to be involved. And now I'm, I am involved. I'm doing the best that I can with what I need to be accountable with. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it's a lot. Nice. Uh, I liked this one, which was how many hours of your life have you spent getting tattooed? <laughs> God, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like it's got to be, can we use days at this point? <laughs> well, I mean, do you know how, how many tattoos do you have? Uh, yeah, I've kind of lot. Well, these kind of the hand tattoos are kind of all over. But yeah, um, yeah I would say I have probably 30 something now. Um, one is probably i mean like this one's six hours my neck tattoo is six hours my big arm ones have been five hours each so we're we're talking a a few days to a week maybe all right do you have any plans to get um tattoos that sort of reflect the journey you're on right now oh that's a great question um i haven't thought about it honestly i feel like i still have some some Jimmy tattoos I really want to get. Mm -hmm. And I actually haven't thought about tattoos around my journey. I probably should. I think the main thing I'm such a, I'm such an internal, like main thing about tattoos is I'm like, they're so expensive. Like I just, that's kind of where I am. I'm like, do you really need to do this? My partner shy um, does stick and poke tattoos. And so they've done a few of those on me, which are way more painful than the ones with a, yeah. Wait, what is it? Stick and poke. It's an actual tattoo needle it's just without the gun and it's just with ink and you just go like this oh yeah in Samoan culture it's like t- you tap it's like oh yeah this is actually just handheld and you just hear like the the what is it the pop of the skin and I, I, I was like this is easy this is great and then they did it I was like oh never mind no <laughs> I have zero tattoos so yeah I'm oh that's right yeah. it's I cool I'm just scarred on the inside <laughs> 
it's permanent. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, I have more than 30 something. But Right. You're like, yeah, I'm just, it's just wallpaper now. I'm going to start telling people that when they say how many tattoos do you have, I'm going to be like, well, on the inside. I- <laughs> <laughs> They're endless. <laughs> They're going to be like, what? On the inside? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. That's funny. I mean, just because it, I could, it's true. Yeah. If your trauma was a tattoo, oh, yeah. Oh my God! It would just be a fucking anxiety. <laughs> yeah, you and I are we we have bought yeah we have sleeves at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I always wanted them because I was like, but I just knew from an early age I was not that type of cool. <laughs> no way, and also it is expensive. So you know. I disagree with that statement as far as cool, but okay, all well, that type of like I don't know. I don't even like. Yeah, I'm t- I'm I'm very sensitive. It's very, I mean, skin-wise, you know. You have horses <laughs> in your skin. You're like, I'm only sensitive in my skin, bitch. Don't get it wrong. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, what is one thing that has helped you feel the most free from trauma? <sighs> I want to use the word forgiveness, but that's not it. Um, it's a word similar to forgiveness and I just don't think it exists because I don't like the word forgiveness. Forgiveness makes you think that you've excused someone's behavior. You accept it, mm-hmm. you, but I've forgiven my mom. And I think that I did that for myself, not for her. Yeah. I, well, yeah. Forgiveness is absolutely for you. Right. I've forgiven her because I, she no longer gets, a space. And so when I made the decision, when I was writing my book, because my mom is so ingrained in my codependent nature and my trauma. um, Once I made the decision that my mother was not going to take, none of her stories were going to exist in my book. Mm -hmm. She doesn't get to be the martyr of this story. And Mm -hmm. she will, she will take that to the limits uh, once I realized that she wasn't going to be the martyr and I, that was a great liberation for me to kind of go. And I literally in the book, you'll see when you edit it that I say at this point in the story, something happens. It has to do with my mom, but she does not get any more text than this. And we skip it. We skip it. And it's like, I'm not going to tell her story. And I also, I'm not going to give her ammunition to tear any of this apart. So um, that was liberating for me to be able to have control over that and say, Mm -hmm. nope, this is not going to work this way. The therapist that I work for, um, a client, he just was talking the other day about forgiveness and how it was like letting go of the need to understand. Yes, that's great. It's really made a lot of sense to me. And yeah, I can't remember who it was. I think it's Maya Angelou. She said, forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. Yeah, very Brene Brown to me. <laughs> right, it's really real, and I think for so long I was so indignant. I was like, "No, she doesn't deserve that. I'm not going to tell her that." No, mm-hmm. and somebody was like, "Why the fuck? Whoever said you had to tell her? Whoever said you had to write her a letter and just be free nice? of her? <laughs> right, just be free. Yeah, just be free. She was not paying rent. She was not. She was occupying this space that was so visceral for me mm-hmm. and it was, it was impeding my growth. And once I realized that I could release those things and put things there that were healthy and that were helping me grow, I was like, fuck off. Like I, right. I need the space. You are, you are taking up a table and you are not paying your tab. Well, and how many times like you, me, people I've seen, you know, it's like they uh, are re- really waiting to be whole 
and it's all depending on this one person acting a certain way, you know? Yeah. And I think you might have to wait forever. (laughs) And and I think the process of grieving who you needed them to be and them not being was such a huge part for me. It was like, I need to grieve the mom that I always needed Mm -hmm. and never got. Mm -hmm. And once I grieved her and realized you actually never showed up like this, I grieved needing that person. So honestly, I'm uh, the person that is now exists is uh, a person I've already grieved. Nice. And that is is definitely a nail in the coffin because I know she listens to this because she doesn't know that I can see the analytics and there's two people that listen in Greece. I only (laughs) know two people that live in Greece, bitch. Listen. Mm -hmm. How much of um, her parenting or non-parenting was sort of the impetus for you being such an involved and engaged parent? All of it. I was determined. I remember being on the phone with my sister. I remember, I wonder if she remembers this. She had just had Bailey and Maddie must've been two or three. And I, it was Halloween. And I was like, Nella, guess what? Maddie's sitting really close to the TV and I'm letting her have as much as her of her Halloween candy as possible until she gets sick. And Nella was like, Oh my God, Bailey's doing the same thing. And we were doing exactly the opposite of what our kids, what we were let to do as kids. And you know what? Maddie had two pieces of candy and was like, I feel sick. I don't want any more. And she never, you know what I mean? She never overdid it. She never had issues with, with sugar. Like, and I feel like, um, I, because I made the int- I was intentional about being the exact opposite. I think I went to the other extreme. Mm-hmm. I was definitely a helicopter parent the first 10 years of Maddie, even 15 years of Maddie's life. I'm sure she's working that out in therapy right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was so involved in her life. I was such a helicopter parent. I was also so codependent. At one point, I emailed, I sent emails for Maddie. We, I call, she called me her Barb. Oh yeah. Like that happened. Yeah. But it was, and it wasn't because she, she was spoiled. It was because I offered to do it. It's because I wanted to be the parent of the year. And what I didn't realize is the parent of the year, when I became a good parent, was when I started loving myself and showed her that as an example. And when I started to take better care of myself, she was like, Oh, this is what self love looks like. Right. Yeah. It's more rather than parent of the year, person of the year. (laughs) Right. Right. And I needed to show her what loving me was about because for so long she saw me hate myself and she saw me not give my own attention to myself, but live for her instead of living for myself. Mm-hmm. And when I made that pivot, I think she was like, Oh, I like this. I like this better. Um, don't get me wrong. It was hard. Cause I created so much codependency that it was like, you know, uh, all of a sudden it felt like I disappeared for, for a little bit and she had to reacclimate. And so did I, I felt guilt upon guilt upon guilt. Um, but now we have such great boundaries. If she has a problem with something, she tells me we have a conversation. I'm accountable, which is something my parents never did. If Maddie's like this hurt me, whether I agree with her reaction or not, I will always apologize. I will always take responsibility for the fact that she was hurt rather than I'm sorry you took it that way kind of bullshit (laughs) and be accountable and tell her I'm going to do a better job to not do that and if my parents ever even said that to me once wow that would have just my heart would have grown like you know uh, the Grinch's heart like I just needed that you need to know that people see the pain that they cause and be validated and I think that that's that was the one part of parenting that I 
made sure and did was when I fucked up, I sat next to her and said, I fucked up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. And I think her looking at me when I would do that and kind of going, Oh God, we're not going to fight about this. This is actually over because you just apologized. It, it was miraculous that moment, you know? Right. That's, I'm excited for both of you. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, there is a question here that I, I don't know if I need to know the answer to, but uh, it's my, <laughs> it favorite. Exactly question you're it's talking my about. favorite question because I'm like, I love that you were like, I'm an open book. And then someone was like, cool, what's your favorite sex position? Yeah. Uh-huh. This is my friend Montana from, um, yeah, <laughs> I think it's Montana from TikTok. Um, if not, I'm sorry, Montana. Um, yeah, I, they're all my favorite. That's the only answer that is appropriate, <laughs> especially since that's one of the major side effects on testosterone. Sorry if this is TMI, whoever's listening in my family, but I didn't know that. sex drive goes way up like we needed that. Um, listen side effects around testosterone are side effects that you often um attribute to male people or people that present more masculine confidence giving less fucks Mm -hmm. like a burst of energy that feels hulk like yeah uh thinks about sex every seven seconds i i can confirm (laughs) <laughs> she's like it's working <laughs> but i mean it's real and so it's like yeah the sex positions we just like all of them that's where we are with that got it um i'm curious where you especially since you have been uh you're like one of those people who knows everybody which is what we have in common <laughs> and you know, so you've been in a lot of different, let's say, groups, right? Mm. And a lot of different communities, right? right. Um, often at the same time. Where do you feel like you most belong now? I still think I'm a, I'm a, I connect the best with survivors, mm-hmm. with people. I feel like I'm inching farther and farther away from the middle-class white people and (laughs) (laughs) inching towards people that it's, if you haven't struggled mentally and financially in your life ever, I have a really hard time relating to you. If you haven't had some sort of dysfunction in your life, um, it's really hard for me to relate to you. (laughs) Like I work best in the survivor circle. I feel like the survivor community, the suicide survivor community whether it's attempt or loss, I will automatically connect with someone there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I'm trying to find my footing in the qu- queer and trans community. But I think right. what I'm realizing is the queer community and the gay community are separate. And I didn't realize that until recently. The gay community is not as political and they're not as uh, educated and they're not, you know what I mean? There's if To be queer is not just about your orientation or your gender, it's a, there's so many more things in there. And I realize I fit way more with queer people than I do um, the other parts of the quote unquote gay and trans community. You know what I mean? Sure. I think those are, those are my, that's my community now, but look, communities has, what does that even mean anymore? Like we're not writing. like We we don't have writing groups at KXP gathering space anymore. I don't get to go dancing at, you know, very at pony on the weekends. Like I don't get to go do these things anymore. So that community is gone. Those people are gone. And now 
I have more intentional friends now though than I did before. Right. And you created, you've created online communities. Yes. I went, you know, Instagram died a little bit for me because I was banned (laughs) during all of the the heat of the riots last year. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I just kept it over. I I branded myself and made it more um, work focused. Mm -hmm. And then TikTok community became a thing and it became this virtual place where a bunch of us would just hang out high in our living rooms together on their lives, which you can do there and not on Instagram. It's kind of great. And it's a virtual community now, you know? That sounds like my Animal Crossing community. (laughs) (laughs) I love you so much for that comment. I mean, that was my 2020, okay? (laughs) I think it was a lot of people's 2020. I think people are going to be able to relate to that. I, however, have never played it. But I'm not, I'm not actually, I'm not actually proud of that. <laughs> I would, I feel you like I should you, probably get you in. spent 500 hours picking fictional apples over the last year. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just endorse me on LinkedIn for that one. <laughs> I've decided I'm going to put link, uh, petty on my LinkedIn. It's happening. Why not? I it's a great skill. I put um, on my under skills that I hosted a, Black Lives Matter protest on my Animal Crossing Island. I don't get LinkedIn, so like I don't get LinkedIn either. I I like and saying so and so just viewed your profile. I'm like, this is the creepiest app next to like seeing what your friends are paying for on Venmo. Like, I feel like <laughs> oh my god, I, I learned so much about my friends. friends. I always mess with my friends. It's like fifty bucks. Really? Oh yeah. I- <laughs> I love that so And I, I think my, I think the last time I sent money to a friend, it was like all caps. It was for afternoon delight. Yes. <laughs> that type of thing. I mean, and then my, I think my son was like, what was that about? I'm like, oh, right. I forgot that we follow each other. <laughs> Oops. Something for his future therapy. You're welcome. (laughs) When your kid starts therapy, it's a cool thing. When Maddie started therapy, I was like, oh God, here we go. Oh God. But it actually has been great because I she she'll use therapy words on me and I'm like, oh, you're cute. I've been doing this for eight years, sweetheart. Like (laughs) welcome. Mm -hmm. You're like, it's just a it's a therapy uh competition and my therapist is a Taurus so like the first few weeks of Maddie being in therapy and she would come to me and go I think we need to discuss some boundaries here and I'm like okay okay and I went to Katie and I was like Maddie used some big therapy words today and Katie this Taurus was like "Ooh," (laughs) and I was like your level of petty is my favorite it was very cute weirdly I've met her (laughs) god the one social event she agreed to go to I was she was like I am not talking to people unless I want to like you will not acknowledge me except for once like it was we had boundaries but it was so good which is good I'm glad Ah, she had to be there all right well are we doing on the questions I mean we I pretty much even got into the ones that wasn't I didn't think I was going to get into I love that. I think we I think we covered things that people Yeah, we did. I think that um I liked number 10. Um I'm going to I'm going to the the one that the thing that people want to know the most about me that oh, they think that they don't know. That is the one I did not. Well, get. I was letting Shy look over these questions and they were like, "I know what this is." 
because I don't think a lot of people know I'm super silly. I think I get taken as somebody that's really serious and has a huge resting bitch face and is really intimidating. People are very so intimidating that they ask you questions about my personal life before they ask me because Aries moon will understandably light them on fire verbally. But I'm actually, if if you get me with my walls down, I am a silly motherfucker. Like I am, I will dance and sing and probably, yeah, it's, I'm very silly. You've seen my silly side. Mm-hmm. And I'm slowly, my Leo rising is slowly letting himself out a little bit more and to be silly. Um, but I like, I wish people would t- know that I, I got roasted the other day, Marika. It made me so what? happy. It made me so happy. It was in such a positive way, but I was um, meeting one of Shy's great friends and they, they know the age difference because Shy is quite a bit younger than me in their twenties. And um, I, we were watching an acrobatic show, an aerial show. And the, the host was like, you know, in the seventies, not m- many of you, you know, know about that. This person, Ducky is their name, looked over at me and said, you know about the seventies, don't you? I fell out. I laughed so hard because everybody's shy, shy's other partner. All these other people were like, like looking to me, looking to Ducky, what's going to happen. I laughed so hard because it was absolutely true. Like there's like roast me with realness. That is also knowing that I can laugh at myself and that we can, if you don't take yourself seriously and you can laugh when somebody roasts you in a way like that, I will have respect for you forever. Like, so you were born in the seventies, right? Thank you. You were like a child in the seventies. We weren't like rolling around in a gold lame like jumpsuit <laughs> at the discotheque. You know what I mean? Like we were children. <laughs> I was a child. I was a child. I was a. T- I grew up formatively in the eighties and nineties. Like oh, exactly. That's where I really am. Yeah, I don't remember the seventies. Let's be clear. <laughs> like, thank God, I was yeah. four. Exactly. <laughs> so, Wait, you're old, just slightly older than me, right? Seventy four. You're 74. You look amazing. (laughs) Wow. I am. I will be 75 in December. No, I was born in 74. So, you know, I only had four years there. Or no, I can do math. Six. Mm -hmm. Um, Fuck. (laughs) I I was talking about saying I'm sober. Yeah. (laughs) I don't do new math or old math. So, clearly... There's new math. <laughs> well, I want nothing to do with it. No, fuck new math. I can't even do old math still. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Marika, thank you so much for doing this with me. It was so I felt I felt safe. I felt like you are such a, you do so much media and so much working with people and helping them market that you had such a great way of like, and let's bring this back to your book. And I was like, oh, that's badass. By the way, she's going to have a book coming out. <laughs> By the way, this is your chapter name. And I, me, you know, writing my chapter names, I'm like, yes. Like, <laughs> but I'm excited about the book. I think it's going to be cool. I'm excited we get to work together again. I think the last thing we did together was the TED Talk, like kind of batting that back and forth before you did an overhaul on it. Yeah. And that's actually supposed to be released um, by July 1st, I've been told. Awesome. So TEDx Dartmouth, yeah, which was a weird experience because we had to film it um, here virtually because everything was virtual. So 
Well, at least you had a good background for the theme. <laughs> right, 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 right. It was at night. It was the twinkly lights. It was very yeah, magical. Plants, so. plants will help you. <laughs> Actually, that was the theme. It's part of, it's in the talk. So I was able to like hold up things and it was cute. So Awesome. Well, good. Yeah. I'm glad. Well, well I, I'm super, I, I love doing this. I, I love you. I love talking with you. We need to do this in person soon. Yeah. We need to um, share various carbohydrates. Oh my um, God. All of them. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And carbs um, have missed us. <laughs> Plus, I feel like I need to give you like a download before you see the first draft of of the book, so you can be like, "What the fuck? Yeah. What is this?" Just schedule some extra therapy before yeah, yeah, yeah. you might have to do twice a week therapy, <laughs> therapy after reading my memoir. Listen, I've learned so much from you helping me. You've helped me edit so. Basically, at one point, I was such a messy writer that Marika was like, "Hey, do me a favor." just don't put anything online unless you let me see it first. <laughs> you were like, I just take you down a few exclamation points and like caps. I'm going to pull out all the lols from your essays. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to add some punctuation. Yeah. <laughs> that is not an exclamation point. Actually. Right. I know. Like I'm going to take the 36 exclamation points down to one. <laughs> every time I add an exclamation point I think of you now and I'm like take it down take it down no you don't need a smiley here smileys aren't gonna go in the book like exactly (laughs) yeah anytime I use more than seven exclamation points I think of you perfect amazing (laughs) well thank you again and um I'm excited for the world to hear this I don't think I would have been as excited if it wasn't with you so awesome well I'm excited thanks for uh Introduce me to the life of podcasting. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to this episode and all the episodes. We hope you'll join our quickly growing online community where there is always someone to hold a space for you if you feel alone. If you have an idea for an upcoming guest or topic, please don't hesitate to reach out. All social media links and contact information can be found at my website, maryangelaabero.com. And until next time, take care of yourselves and those around you. And by that, I mean, wash your fucking hands, wear a damn mask, defund the police, pay the fee, basically continue fighting for the rights of indigenous and black lives everywhere, including and especially black trans lives. And do your part to abolish all forms of systemic racism. I'll see you next time.